Welcome to the World of Intelligence, a podcast for you to discover the latest analysis of global military and security trends within the open source defense intelligence community. Now onto the episode with your host, Harry Kemsley. Hello, and welcome back. For those of you who listened to part one of this podcast, you'll know that we're about to pick up the second part now. Thank you for listening. Yeah, let me just um, spin this in a slightly different direction, Sean. I'll come to you first, but I'm sure, Bob, you'll have a view on this as well. How do we do that governance where we take into consideration the necessary ethics and the collection processes and all the rest of it and not put ourselves at a disadvantage where a potential adversary feels less constrained by the ethical environment that we are considering? Sean, how do you feel as though we should tackle that? And by the way, I know that's a difficult question, but I'm coming to you first with Bob some more, more time to think about it. For me, it's a moral it's a moral issue, isn't it? You know, the ethics is, you know, what is right, which doesn't necessarily mean what is legal as when we had that one with Amy, of course. Mm. Um, so I, I think you just have to to accept that there are things that we won't use, um, like on the battlefield. You know, we, we won't use tactical nuclear weapons or will we? Um, we won't use uh, banned weapons, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the same thing for me. But I don't think that necessarily puts us at a disadvantage. We just have to be smarter, actually. Um, so, but I think on the on the governance side, and this is where you know I, I agree with Bob, and and this is always the the problem that any uh, you know Western government will have have. How do you coordinate everything and bring it into one bucket to make it efficiency, not buying it lots and lots of times, but then also make it usable for the huge spectrum of who needs it within the community. I mean, you know, from the tactical to the strategic, they're different requirements. So, you know, it's whereas it's fine to say, okay, this organization will lead all the rest of it, but but each organization then ha- must have the flexibility to say, well, I need this that you nobody else needs, and therefore I'm going to do that. So I would say in terms of the coordinating level, and you know, is it CIA, is it DNI, whatever, we need some sort of directive, whether it's an ICD or not. And I think it's it's pretty much there actually that says, right. This is the legal, this is the ethical, this is the policy by which open source intelligence will be governed, will be run. You know, there's just like the other ICDs, there's your direction, now go and do your own thing. I mean, it's not as simple as that, of course. Mm. And of course, the other thing, the other part of it, which Bob actually touched on um, very well indeed as well, was, you know, follow the money. Where is the money? Um, because if you're a commercial organization, you're not going to invest in these things. You're not going to do everything unless you, you think there's going to be a return on your investment. Yep. So, you know, but equally, if you're a government organization, say, well, actually, we could do all this ourselves. Why would I spend umpty umpty, you know, dollars on, on on developing this capability when the instinct is always to do it in-house? So, Bob, turning the same question to you then, in terms of the the ethical disadvantage, if I can use that phrase, how do you feel about the constraints we put on ourselves for for ethical reasons and the advantage that might give adversaries if that indeed is an advantage. Yeah, so I mean, we are a values-based society. Um, and so with those rules going forward, uh, I, yeah, it, is it does it put it as a disadvantage over an you know, autocratic authoritarian government? Um, yeah, but I would frame it in the context of risk mitigation, right? So what can we do when you think about um, our values to mitigate some of that risk. And so we have oversight, right? Whether it's through intelligence committees, whether it's through what we do from, you know, the defense department, but the other part is transparency. Yep. 
So if you don't know what your intelligence community is doing and you don't know what your government's doing and you don't know what your defense department's doing because there's a lack of transparency, then you default toward a lack of trust. Yep. So part of that risk, risk mitigation for me is building trust. And I, my hat's off to the DNI. You know, that that uh, report from 27 January of uh, 22 that talks about public available commercial information. You know, if you go through the body of the document, there's only just a couple of words that are redacted. I mean, the bulk of the document is there. And the fact that, you know, was there a little bit of pressure? You know, this is a little bit of the cart and the horse, right? Was there pressure from the Hill to do that? Or was it just on the young volition of the DNI to go, yeah, we got to release this? Um, that's probably another argument. But I compliment the DNI for releasing this document, which says, hey, here's the kinds of things. And it doesn't make a judgment, but it gives some recommendations that that are going on and where the risk lies if we don't um, provide the proper oversight um, you know, to our U.S. citizens as it relates to the Fourth Amendment. So I think it really is transparency, creating a dialogue with the IC, um, which has been, you know, let's go back to Ukraine. Uh, there's a bit of a forcing function here, right? Yep. We've we've had uh, intelligence where we've shared where, um, you know, we kind of knew the imminence of the, the attack. So the administration decides, hey, we're going to put that out there. We're going to share it with partners so that you don't have this false flag from the Russians where they're going to come in. So I just think creating transparency to the degree that it doesn't put national security at risk mm-hmm. um, and having a dialogue, you know, that you're, I think your IC, you know, they're in the business of national security, not necessarily in the business of keeping secrets from, you know, from the American public. So creating that dialogue um, is a, is building trust. And it really, I think that in itself is foundational to our values. And it's yeah. the right thing to do. And so when you build that trust, then what do you get? You get a little more leeway with some of the things you probably want to be able to, to need to do. But you keep right. the dialogue going. And I think that's kind of the perspective. You probably also, in quotes, recruit a large part of the population that become part of your intelligence community by virtue of the fact they're also looking at open source intelligence or information and creating intelligence potentially. All right. So go ahead, Bob. Sorry. Yeah, I just want to follow up to Sean's point. You know, we were talking about the follow the money and and stuff like that. So the other part is there there is a little bit of inherent risk, I guess, in that over-centralization if you don't manage the requirements well, right? Because you may have this, you may purchase some um, package of license for certain kinds of production, but Southcom goes, yeah, but you're not meeting my requirement for X. So the COCOMs and the outliers have to be able to make sure that the requirements are known that they're brought in so that whatever whatever centralized um, business arrangement or purchase agreement is put in place, it has the agility, the flexibility to address the requirements of the broader community and what they need. So it's not like I just bought, you know, I bought 10 pounds of open source. You get what you get. No, I want to I want to push my requirements in and let's make sure that you're uh, your business model and your purchase agreement is dynamic dynamic enough for for me to be able to be value added. Yeah, we've certainly had plenty of conversations, Sean, have we not, about the capital procurement programs, procurement programs that were designed for 
the procurement of ships and airplanes rather than intelligence. But uh, let's not go there today. Let's not uh, let's push on to something else. All right. So with um, all that we've said, we've talked about the coming of age of open source intelligence. We talked about its utility. We've talked about the proximity to that moment where it becomes more integrated. Let me ask you to um, look into your crystal ball, Bob. And we're now in 2028, gusting 2030. What do you see as the big changes between now and then that open source needs to think about preparing itself for that might affect the way we do governance? What's the changes coming that we need to be ready for, both in the commercial sector as much as in the government sector in terms of how to integrate it? Yeah, so I, um, I think the the challenge, it goes back to that uh, conversation we had early on, you know, how do we bring all the partners together, both inside defense and outside defense to talk about how do we integrate this at scale to address national security issues? And so I, I think we're poised to have that conversation, but someone's going to have to lead it from inside defense, mm -hmm. right? I can do, we can, you know, Sean, you and I can do some conjoling from outside defense, um, but we need leadership inside that looks at this and says, we have a strategic opportunity. Are we going to take it? Right. Because unless we fully integrate this at scale, we're already seeing the Chinese do this. Yeah. I mean, and, and so set aside the authoritarianism, set aside the values issue. They're starting to do this at scale, fully integrated. And of course, you know, when you're you got one person in charge and can drive the, the nation toward a certain vector, then you know that's easier to do. So our challenge is, you know, the complexity of what it means to be a democracy. And I'll go back to one of your um one of your statesmen, he said, you know, it's the worst form of government, but it's better than all others, you know, <laughs> for Winston Churchill. Um, so it also makes it very complicated for us to be able to put this in place. But, but we have a strategic opportunity um, and the door is open. Are we going to walk through it and we're going to bring industry with us? Are we going to start doing this as a uh, an extended enterprise of the IC, which is where that opportunity lies? to start leveraging more and more of this and, and and look at the relationships with business as well. You know, the discussions we had on the Fortune 500, you know, not everything brilliant uh, was in, in, invented inside a three-letter agency, right? And and, right. and they know that, yeah. you know, and not to be a little, not, not to be critical, but, you know, our ability to, to send feelers out to these Fortune 500 companies, you know, if I'm running an open source center and I'm probably want to, you know, I want to go out to the Exxons and, mobiles and you know some of these international corporations and go tell me how you're leveraging this yeah you know it's kind of interesting if you go back to post 9 11 if you go to the new york fire department they have an ops intel center that you know was advised and built and um under the tutelage of one of our pristine um special operations organizations right and they do phenomenal things i think their our ability to to you know share both ways in commercial industry, as well as inside the government from commercial industry is uh, is a strategic opportunity and we need to seize it. Sean, strategic opportunity, it's there in front of us. What do you see as the uh, the opportunity for us in the next few years for open source? And this is where I go back to revert to type and where I'm not as positive as I was. So the, you know, the Nirvana is an ability to just hoover up all the data from whatever sources, apply some proper algorithms, to come up with the assured information that we need to provide the intelligence that that is that is you know comprehensive, 
Um, that that is the nirvana, and that's what we should be working to. But it goes back to um, the risk, the risk appetite. You know, how much risk does the community actually take? Very, very little. We are a risk-averse organisation. Um, when I say ours, I mean you know the, the sort of the ex-defence side of things. But I think to an extent that also applies a little bit to the commercial world. And that unless that risk is embraced, and I don't mean being reckless. What I mean is being prepared to take risk by understanding what that means in using and integrating both classified and unclassified data. Unless we do that, we're going to be in a bad place in five, 10 years time, because there's one thing that is an absolute cert is the data is just going to get greater and greater and greater, they get more granular. Doesn't mean to say it's all going to be more right, because you've got to actually sift the misinformation, disinformation out there. But the nirvana is to take it all and be able to filter in a way that we're using the assured data to come up with the fullest analysis. Are we going to make it? Well, for all the reasons we've already talked about, um right now and it is cultural more than anything else i'm not sure we're going to get there well maybe sadly we might need another strategic shock to uh, to get that changed so bob let's just turn let's just turn back to the uh, the governance and let's be a little bit more directly pointed at the the government environment in the us we have civilian and defense intelligence how do you feel about the command and control in that environment as it is today what do you think are the benefits of it currently set up as it is, or should that be changed in any way? So, so I think we have a good framework right now um, because of where it's set up is, you know, even though the CIA has the overall responsibility, um, you have a significant role for DA because DA has responsibility to the Defense Department. So when you look at requirements, you know, the, the IC has requirements for the broader IC, the CIA you know, does a lot to, to focus on the national decision makers within the administration and the executive branch. But for, you know, for Scott Barrier, General Barrier and Defense Intelligence Agency and the Open Source Center, they're answering requirements for Secretary Austin and the Defense Department. So I, it's, it's, not a du, it's not duplicative in nature, right? So you've got structure because you have different requirements um, and you have different customers. And so for the IC, for CIA, you know, handling that broader executive branch responsibility for the President National Security Council uh, and that particular clientele for General Barrier and the Defense Department through DIA, combatant commanders, right, the services, the Defense Department, the OSD staff. So different requirements. There's a little bit of overlap and we have a mechanism to deconflict some of those. But you got to understand that there's different constituencies, different requirements, right. and that allows them to focus um, their efforts on those requirements, on those clients, and be you know much more uh, laser focused on addressing their needs. So that setup, um, while it may appear that it's uh, somewhat duplicative, that bifurcation is is necessary. And then they come together where it makes sense and talk about a governance and talk about you know procurement and a number of things that we've talked over the last uh, last hour. Um, let me just throw in a quick wildcard question, if I may, Bob, before we, uh, we before we close. We've had recent conversations, in fact, we've had several conversations on these podcasts about the advent of the artificial intelligence-based analytics. We had a, a guest on recently, a very uh, knowledgeable guest about AI, Keith Deere, and he spoke greatly about the, the essential inclusion of artificial intelligence. I sense from conversations I've had elsewhere that people are, I'm talking about people inside the intelligence community, defense intelligence community, are still not clear about 
the full potential of AI and are concerned about the, the black box element of AI. What's your view about the inclusion of artificial intelligence in the intelligence tradecraft that we understand today? How do you feel about introducing those kind of techniques and, te and technologies? Yeah, Harry, I think we absolutely have to leverage it, but we have to go in with eyes wide open. Um, I think the black box analogy is one um, where I am right now is unacceptable to say this is what the box told me um, because it gets back into the tradecraft. Right. You have to be able to explain to me, you know, how did the algorithm come up with the answer is three? And so because we inherently owe that to our senior leaders and, you know, the conversations I have with senior leaders is, Ask us about our tradecraft. Tell us, you know, ask us about our sources and methods. Ask us about our confidence level. I think that should be inherent in the dialogue, right? And so when you present something to a senior leader, the question should be, and how do you know that? And I, I never want to be in a position where I go, well, that's, that's what the box told me. Right. So you got to, you got to understand that. So that's part of it. Um, you know, when you think about leveraging AI, the other part is you're as good as the data in your holdings. Yeah. Right. So the data uh, for large language models is much more replete, but we're, you know, we're discovering things like chat GPT will have hallucinations, uh, hallucinations where it, I'm probably butchering this, but if there's a gap, it may fill in the gap with what it thinks. Um, but, you know, um, there are errors that come out of that. So and then, you know, for us to take some of these artificial intelligence algorithms, you know, a lot of it is taking because we want to jump to this, you know, cognition model when in fact where we are right now is, hey, just go find, you know, the following things and a bunch of imagery or find the following things and some data just to aggregate it to help me reduce the burden right. um, of my workflow. So there's there's some basic functions that we need to bring it in to be able to do. And then I think as we learn over time, kind of the a more complicated uh, use, but it will be integral to what we do going forward. I think it's great for, you know, red teaming um, uh, analysis. You know, what are alternative analysis to what maybe the analyst comes up with, or playing the same data they're reading and see, you know, does it come up with the same kind of information? It's interesting. So as I look at, you know, on my screen here, I've got Sean and Harry. And if I were to ask them, and let's say they've got the same 35 years of experience in the UK working in analysis, and they have the same data that they read, this means they're necessarily going to come up with the same conclusion. Right. right? So AI may be part of it. And the, the example, because of much to the frustration of senior leaders, they go, how come you know CI and DI have a different opinion of what's the likelihood of X happening? Aren't you guys reading the same data? Right. And the response I always get back is, you know, I ask that senior leader, I go, what's the highest court in the land? And they'll look at me like, you know, I'm an idiot and they go, it's the Supreme Court. And I go, yep. And every time the Supreme Court has a controversial issue, they're always nine and zero on their decision, right? It's the same document. It's been around for over 200 years. <laughs> no, because there are some biases there, you know, that go into that. So you're going to have the same thing in artificial intelligence. You have the same thing in human intelligence. And you just got to figure out how do you manage that? How do you how do you, how do you make sure that's transparent? And how do you explain it? Because you know the Supreme Court is seldom nine and zero, and yeah. it's and and they're all reading the same Constitution. Yeah, yeah, well said. All right, I'm going to draw stumps on the conversation. A quick uh, reference to a game of cricket, by the way. Um, I'll ask you in just a second, Bob. 
if you had the opportunity to have the audience take away one thing from this conversation, what would it be? Sean, I'll come to you second and I'll give myself the opportunity to fill in the blank after that. So, Bob, you have the audience in front of you. What's the one thing you want them to take away from this conversation concerning open source intelligence? We have a strategic opportunity uh, at our feet. Um, what are you going to do to help educate the folks that you work with in your network to help them understand that strategic opportunity and drive change? Perfect. Sure. It wouldn't surprise you to know that or that would have been mine as well. But I mean, there are several big ones out there. I think for me and, and Bob brought it up, actually, is the need from the community as a whole to um, broaden their focus from a razor sharp view on it's all about the data to looking at the wider elements of it, including the analytics, including the analysis. So, you know, the, the wider piece. So that that's that's the really the, the big thing I took away, actually. Yeah. So, Bob, you've talked about the strategic opportunity. Sean, you've talked about it from the community's perspective. I'm going to talk about it from the commercial perspective. The one thing you said earlier, Bob, that really struck with me is that transparency will, in certain circumstances anyway, develop trust. If the agencies, TriGraph, UK-based, NATO-based, are to trust the corporate environment, we have to be more transparent about how we do what we do. Certainly at James, we spent a huge amount of effort talking about our tradecraft honed over many, many decades. We need that for the, that to be the standard for all commercial providers, I would suggest, to get to the point where the agencies see and understand what we do more than they do today. So for me, that transparency piece is huge. Bob, go ahead. So it, one of the great things that senior leaders do is they reach out to this broad network that's not in the Defense Department. And so I'll give you an example, you know, just not that this is the exact detail. So, if, you know, chief of staff of the Army, he probably reaches out to a lot of people that have never been in uniform, that are in the broader, you know, commercial industry to talk about business, talk about opportunities, to talk about what's going on in the world. So within the open source, and I'm, this is kind of my takeaway on this one, if you think about open source, then there's an executive council, right? There's an executive council that exists that is co-chaired by CI and DIA. And it happens inside a SCIF, and I've sat in it several times. And you look around, it's in a SCIF with a bunch of people that are all part of the IC. Where is the OSINT executive council that half of the people sitting there are industry? Not selling, but talking about what we potentially could achieve, because yeah. that's what senior lead, that's what chiefs of staff of the services do. They have broad networks, whether it's reaching out to Bloomberg or pick, you know, these global companies, because these these individuals, men and women, they're leading these, you know, these CEOs have tremendous insights. So why are we not thinking about, and maybe that's the one catalyst that starts, you know, that whiteboard conversation of what's in the art of the possible about the fact that we get this out of this insular inside the SCIF design of how we think about it, and we pull in data or tools as a commodity as opposed to thinking about a capability. Right. Right. Because we think about things we buy as opposed to the capability and what we could produce. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, because time is always going to evaporate on us, I will pull stumps at this point. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Sean, as ever, thank you for your contribution. And for the listener, 
We get a lot of questions coming in sometimes around these podcasts. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today, then please let us know. Bob, I'm highly confident there will be some questions which may, may well warrant another conversation between the three of us, and I look forward to that day. So thank you very much for your time today. Great contribution, great conversation. Thank you. Very, Sean. Always great to be with you. Absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, we, we own part of this responsibility, right, is if we move ahead. So we'll keep working it. Thank you again. Thanks for joining us this week on The World of Intelligence. Make sure to visit our website, janes.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, so you'll never miss an episode. 